0: I'm John McDevitt with Paul Kurtz And we are the Beer and Booze Bros The Evil Empire Which is
1: kind of unfortunate for those poor bohemians But what are you going to do?
2: On today's episode, it's no secret the craft beer business remains a male-dominated industry, and a group of women in pink boots is working on changing that.
3: It was hard. I mean, a lot of the old-time bar owners, they don't want to see a, a female come in and try to it. say, like, what do you know about beer?
2: For International Women's Day, we go to the
0: Callow Hill section of Philadelphia and to Love City Brewing.
3: It's definitely changed.
0: Later in the podcast, there was a celebration at the German Society of Pennsylvania in Norton Liberties. The oldest German culture organization in the country held a beer fest. Later actually means song.
1: Whereas later means leather. So they're leather pants, so they're later hose and they're not song pants.
0: There was fun, great beer, and it was educational.
1: I teach and talk and speak about wine and beer and alcoholic beverages of all kinds. And apparently, occasionally, I arm wrestle with roller derby athletes, which is what's going to happen in 20 minutes. So I'm psyched about that.
2: And a national top 50 list is out on craft breweries. As far as sales volume goes, Rum roll, please.
0: The top craft brewery. Don't give it away yet. Okay, well, here's a hint. The bros were there in a past episode. There is a separate top 50 breweries by sales volume list of overall breweries in the U.S., too. Here's a hint the bros weren't there in a past episode. March is Women's History Month, and to mark the occasion, we visited a brewery in the Callow Hill section of Philadelphia. The Pink Boots Society gathered at
2: Love City Brewing to make Smash It Up Saison. Proceeds from sales of the beer will go to fund scholarships for women to advance in the beer industry. Hi, who are you all? Hi, I'm Carly
4: Chelder. I'm a Pink Boots member opening my own brewery, Tannery Run Brew Works in Ambler,
5: PA. I'm Aaron Wallace. I'm the owner of the Devil's Den in the Old Eagle Tavern, and I'm the co chapter leader of the Greater Philadelphia Area Philadelphia Pink Boots Society.
0: This is
2: International Women's Day.
0: There are about maybe a dozen or so, maybe more women uh, in the industry, as well as the Pink Boots Society here. You can tell the Pink Boot Society members by their pink boots. They are raging pink <laughs> boots, by the way.
5: Yes, they so- are.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the Pink Boot Society. What is it?
5: So the Pink Boot Society is a international organization of women beer professionals networking and sharing information and knowledge. We hold a lot of educational seminars and classes for other women in the industry. It's also open to any beer professionals as well. And then we do a lot of fundraising, and what we do is use that money to uh, supply business and brewing scholarships for our members.
0: One of the recipients, you are a pass. Marley.
5: I am a
4: scholarship recipient. Pretty exciting. I won the scholarship uh, through Portland State University online for the Business of Craft Brewing Certificate Program. So I'm a graduate of that program. I gave a little pay-it-forward presentation to my local chapter to share the knowledge that I got from this uh, educational experience. And, and
0: you must have paid attention because you're opening up your own brewery.
4: I am. I am. I almost got straight A's.
0: And that's, <laughs> and you learned all about the business of brewing. And
4: all I, about the business, uh, the marketing aspects. There's a lot of competition, so you really need to differentiate okay, so yourself. Since
0: you're so smart, and uh, why is that tank overflowing? Are we going to drown? Or <laughs>
4: <laughs> Well, luckily there are floor drains. Built in, so <laughs> nothing to worry about.
2: Okay, Relax, John.
5: We've already gotten the word out of that. We got all the important stuff out of that tank now, and that's them running a hose through, starting to clean out the tanks.
0: And tell us about the beer. What, what is the beer, and uh, how long? high? And, and how long until, until, until we can drink it?
5: So this year, the brew, the brew that we're doing here at Love City is called Smash It Up Saison. Uh, we're using the Yakima Chief uh, Pink Boots Hop Blend, so it'll be a hoppy Saison. should come in around 6%, and it's going to be mixed fermentation uh, with bread and a Saison yeast. You should see it available here the first weekend of April.
2: Where are you in the process right now of brewing?
5: Uh, they have moved the, the beer from the uh, tanks down to the fermentation tanks, and we're getting ready to add the hop blend probably within the next 10 minutes.
0: We're talking about the scholarship program and the education that that is received. And it's extremely beneficial as as Carly. I mean, she's going to open up her, her place next week. It's very exciting, Carly. The industry, the craft beer industry, it's no secret that it is a male-dominated industry. Um, but you're working to change that.
5: We're, we're trying. Uh, th- there's no actual numbers yet. I know the Craft Brewers Association has been working on doing some surveys to try to find out some actual numbers, but right now they're estimating around like 20% of the industry uh, are female. Um, that's actually growing. If you see a lot of the breweries that are getting ready to open in the Philadelphia area have a female owner or co-owner. Um, you're seeing a lot of females now in the brewing classes at University of Sciences, brewing program. So the numbers are growing.
2: What was the attraction for you two for getting into to, to brewing?
4: I mean, besides uh, creating a wonderful product that uh, brings joy, <laughs> honestly, just finding a network of ladies um, to help support each other in, in this uh, industry is pretty special to me.
0: Women are being received with open arms in the industry, right?
4: They, they are. I, I think that we still have some challenges to overcome, but well, that would be that's... us as a society, not just the industry. Well, what
2: are the challenges? You still get that male, like, uh, what are you doing here kind of vibe?
4: Well, there's definitely mansplaining about the different beer types. Uh, I get it all the time. If I go into a new uh, bar or pub and they're like, oh, well, do you know about this style? Actually, yes, I studied it. I could probably tell you more about it, but.
5: (laughs) I mean, I buy beer. I don't, I don't, I help out at Brew Days. I don't have a brewery, but I'm a beer buyer. And a lot of times I'll go and sit in my own restaurant and get ready to order a beer, and the guy next to me is like, well, you like this, it's a cider. Like, I'll probably order a glass of whiskey, but okay. You know, it's, you, know you get yeah. that a lot. Um, you know, you're still seeing some of the stereotypical ways that some companies advertise to women. You're definitely seeing that change a lot, and the the beer labels change in some of the, some of the you know, sexist, derogatory names in beers. You're definitely seeing that turn, but it's taking a lot of sometimes calling it out to see that change happen.
2: There's a, there's a brewery in Virginia. Their labels are Buxom Women. One beer is called Double D. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't th- remember the name of the uh, brewery right now. I was hoping I it would, I would trigger yeah, one of you.
5: I probably would ignore that brewery
0: because
5: yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always been that like having fun and having the playful names and the punzel names, but it's about doing it in a way that's respectful to everybody. And you're definitely seeing the advertising starting to change. But for a while there, they were changing to be a little demeaning to It was like the shrink it and pink-it mentality. Like, oh, you want to sell this to a woman? Make it pink and make it tiny and make it sparkly. And you're definitely, you don't need to sell us beer that way. We like the way beer tastes. Yeah. But,
0: but you are embracing your uh, the, the pink in the pink booths. And that right? It's fun.
5: That story came about the owner, Terry, when she started, Pink Boots came about because she started doing a tour of breweries around the country. It started as a registry of women who were actually working in the industry and she had gotten a new pair of boots and a couple brewers had told her, oh, if you're doing this, you should be wearing pink boots, you're a woman. And that's kind of how the whole pink boots came about. And
0: it's also like an achievement. It's a status symbol too, so right, in your, our, in your organization. Yeah,
5: our, our scholarship winners, when they win their scholarship and complete their program, part of the thing is they have to do a pay it forward program where they share the knowledge they learn with the rest of the chapter whether it's through meetings or writing an article and then when they complete their program they win a pair of pink boots.
0: I understand that their work boots are steel toes right? I understand that the makers of these went out of like they're not selling them anymore?
5: No they're they're not they're not doing this color.
0: What will you do?
5: Oh, I don't know. We're still trying to figure... Right now, we're rewarding t-shirts and really nice jackets. And then, I don't know, maybe we'll paint a pair of boots pink. I don't know. We're still trying to figure that out. Looking for opportunities
4: for boot makers that want to make this...
5: uh... The the Pink Boots Society has actually written multiple letters with signatures from women all over the world saying, please bring back the pink boots. Who knows? Maybe maybe they're (laughs) listening to you right
0: now.
2: Where will your beer be served?
5: So this beer uh, that we're brewing today will be available in Love City uh, April 4th. Um, it's also going to be available in bars and breweries around the city. It's going to be available at the Bold Women and Beer Festival May 4th, which is the our first annual festival celebrating women in the beer industry here in the Philadelphia area. So we have 30-plus breweries um, that are going to be here at the parking lot Love City May 4th. We are going to be... Um, Pouring beers made by women and highlighting the different roles that women take in the beer industry as well. And tickets actually went on sale today. Tickets went on sale today. They're forty-five dollars. Oh, oh. Yeah, great. we're trying to make it very reasonable. Yeah. Paul,
0: yes. this is Nancy. Oh, hi. This is Paul Kurtz. Oh, uh, we're, Nancy. We're doing the Beer and Booze Bros right now. Oh, and, you're and the
3: the other I'm Yes, he's the other bro. Bro. Yeah, yes. Nice.
0: So, uh, wanting to do the formalities, Nancy. Yes. Who Hi. are you? Oh. I am Nancy Bard
3: <laughs> with uh, Philadelphia Brewing.
0: So you are a co-owner of Philadelphia Brewing. Yes. And you're a member of the Pink Boots Society as well.
3: Yes. And you have pink hair. And I pink hair. It so is. There you go. Yeah. And you wear your pink shirt. Yes, I did that on
0: purpose. I like and it. Yeah, did yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you. <laughs> I have green checkerboards.
3: <laughs> that yeah, counts. Yeah.
0: So we were just talking to, uh, to the ladies here about you know just the challenges uh, in the industry. I mean, you've been you you're one of the first. Uh, yeah,
3: I've been in it 20 years. Probably, yeah.
0: Are you are you noticing a change in a male-dominated society uh, industry? Yeah,
3: for sure. Um, I, I'm I'm just amazed when we walked in it, that there's this many women locally in the in the business and and different parts of the business they're in. You know, whether it's sales or brewing or marketing or graphic design, whatever. And
0: are you seeing the Sigma go away, or has there ever been one really?
3: With women, with women being in yeah, the yeah, business. Yeah. Um, there definitely, when back in my day, when I got <laughs> in it, there was Carol Stout was probably locally one of the only women, big significantly, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it, even I started out doing sales, and it was hard. I mean, a lot of the old-time business bar owners, they don't want to see a, a female come in and try to say, like, what do you know about beer? It was kind of their attitude. Um, it's definitely changed.
2: What's going on at Philly Brewing? Got anything new coming up?
3: Um, we have our Fleur de Lehigh just came out, which is our spring-summer seasonal. Delicious. It's it a is golden, delicious. Yeah, it's a golden Belgian-style ale. Um, What's
2: the grass I get in that? that,
3: that um, um, we have lemongrass. Oh, that's it. Yep, there's lemongrass, grapefruit, rose hips, all kinds of good stuff in it. Yeah, so that that's the, the newest beer we have. What else is new at the brewery? We have a very pregnant cat.
0: Oh, and Philadelphia Brewing has another cat named Duke. He's a working cat. In addition to being a mouser, he's a social media star with his own Instagram account. Duke. Yeah. So we got I, Duke. Met Duke. I met Duke. I met oh, Duke. Duke. Duke has his own, get this, Duke has his own Twitter
3: page? Instagram.
0: Instagram page.
3: Wow. Yeah, Duke just started. He figured out how to do it. I'm very proud of him. Yes. Without thumbs. It's <laughs> awesome. <So> he's <laughs> very
0: smart. He's actually, he has Instagramming. Yeah. From yes. the brewery.
3: What does he talk yeah. about? his life his his working he's a working cat so he somehow gets selfies of him doing his work he talks about beers that are coming up he talks about things going on in the peacock room which is our bar at the brewery
0: great bar by the way Very really nice all right he,
2: I heard he Instagram something like he's demanding 15 bucks an hour
3: oh, yeah right? probably he wants more snacks or something I don't a little know sardines or He's something like, give me the real stuff never mind that prescription food you got How me on. That working out?
0: that's a fun little marketing way a uh, tool right
3: it's awesome it's awesome actually yesterday uh, bartender came up she said somebody's here to see Duke and I was like what <laughs> so it was um there's an Instagram page distillery cats and the guys from Brooklyn super nice and he was in the neighborhood and he follows Duke on Instagram so he stop by to meet Duke. That is awesome. Yeah, great. he was great.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah. That Thanks, was Nancy. Awesome. Thank you.
2: All we got you the know next know. round, guys. Just gotta get paid
0: first. Stay with us. The Beer and Booze Bros will be right back. They're on a journey through breweries and watering holes throughout the region. It actually tastes like apple pie in a glass. Okay, I'm getting it now. Now I'm getting the pie.
2: John McDevitt and Paul Kurtz are the Beer and Booze Bros. Don't miss any of their podcasts. That's all I need. Another addiction. On the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Beer and Booze Bros. March is a big month for beer festivals in Philly, and one of the biggest takes place at the German Society of Pennsylvania.
0: It's an event that brings all aspects of Germany from UPA bands and shoe slappers to all kinds of German beer. We start in the beer garden. Apollos looks like a festive table.
2: Yeah, we're out here in the, uh, we're outside in the beer garden. There's a uh, a German, uh, what's that
0: instrument called? That's an accordion. (laughs) He's playing. He's had a little drink. But I I feel underdressed because we're sitting at a table here with uh, people in authentic German. Authentic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Hi guys, you're actually performers? Yes, we are. And beer trickers. <laughs>
3: oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to be, right? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. No, yeah. is, that, is that lederhosen you guys are wearing? Yes. It's actually okay. pronounced lederhosen. Oh, yeah, lederhosen. Paul, get with it. I don't you have okay. German heritage? I do, but clearly it's not showing up today. <laughs> no, clearly not. No, but this is actually a good story, though. A lot of people tend to say lederhosen because that's what they say on the movies and TV. But leder actually means song. Huh.
1: Whereas leder means leather. So they're leather pants. So they're later hose, and they're not song pants.
0: So what is it about the beverages that you like, or what are your favorite beverages, German-wise?
1: This one at. is actually a delicious smoked beer. It tastes like bacon. I think I'm only gonna have the one though, because I think I need to go back to something a little more thirst quenching. Do you all have
0: um, uh, German heritage? I assume. Or? Yeah. 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 So There's yeah, some we're last we're, we're uh, my name is Michael Fricker i Schultz, I actually just married him, so now I'm Schultz Fricker. But, oh! Yeah, German. Wow. We're all Frickers. <laughs> Your father and sister <laughs> that, what the frick's going on here? <laughs> well, we have. You get that a lot, don't we you? Have, we have. Then it was off to the Society's Library and we take a seat in the original 1888 Reading Room. And we get an education on German beer from one of the world's foremost experts. We're here at the German Beer Fest with the great Marnie Old. Yes! Ooh. Marnie, I, I, I met you about a year ago and since then I like I found out like you're you're pretty awesome. <laughs>
1: Well, I'll tell you, I have, I, I, I have a fun job. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. I teach and talk and speak about wine and beer and alcoholic beverages of all kinds. And I teach about them, like actual wine education, beer education. I travel the country. I write books. I write for magazines. I speak in front of crowds. And apparently, occasionally, I arm wrestle with roller derby athletes, which is what's going to happen in 20 minutes. So yeah. I'm psyched
3: about
0: that. And you, you, uh, you have a, a name.
1: I do, I do. So, you know, Marnie Old, I. some people in Philadelphia remember when I, I used to be sort of the hot female sommelier in the 90s, back if you remember Neil Stein's restaurants, I was the sommelier at Stripe Bass when he opened Rouge Blue Avenue B Fish Market and we had an amazing run. I was there for five years and I did all of their training and all of their communications about beverages in that period. And that helped me learn to discover my own inner talent. And my talent is, I am, I am like a... Uh, drinks whisperer, I guess. Okay. So my, my dad was a geography professor and my mom was a kindergarten teacher. So I figured out early how to explain complicated things. And then when I became a waitress, I started having to explain alcohol more than anything else. And it is confusing. So, uh, I, I discovered there's actually enough in this to make a living.
2: Fantastic. First of all, I just learned the proper word of what I used to call sommelier. It's
1: Sommelier.
0: Sommelier. Okay. okay, so that's number one. I'm already feeling and small. And then the oh. uh, connoisseur of beer is?
1: Well, there are a couple different words for that. Uh, uh, beer fan, I think, is the most basic. <laughs> but if you do actually go through the training programs to become, like, a beer expert, there is a word for that. It's, they take it from the name of the, of the great philosopher Cicero. So they are Cicerones. Although I still haven't really understood why the beer world ch- chose a term like that. Like, sommelier, okay, you can shorten that to som, but Cicerone, you're... Stuck calling guys sissies,
2: which just seems
1: silly to me.
2: <laughs> and so I, I was here, uh, uh, Marnie held a seminar. In this great space, by the way. We're yeah. in the library,
0: right, Monia? Right
1: yes, this is in the Horner Memorial Library on the top floor of the German Society of Pennsylvania. Now, the German Society of Pennsylvania, this organization was founded in 1764. It is the oldest German-American organization in the United States, the granddaddy of them the country all. was
0: born, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, 1776. In fact,
1: right behind you there is a copy of the Declaration of Independence that was published in the German-language newspaper... And interestingly, in the city of Philadelphia, it was published for the people first in the German language rather than English, because at that time there were more people who spoke German in Philadelphia than English speakers. There were two newspapers weekly, one in English, one in German, and it was published in German two days before it was published in English.
0: And thank God they brought their beer recipes with them.
1: Absolutely. The reality is for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Germany was associated with the finest quality beers of Europe, and it's because not only were they at the heart of that climate belt where barley, the brewing grain par excellence, grows best, but also they are the native region of hops, which we know now, didn't always used to be used for brewing beer, but are an essential ingredient for the definition of beer today. They are the preservative that allows us to drink beer beyond two or three days after it's brewed.
2: So what she did, she took, uh, I believe, 10, ten lagers and broke them down. And it, first of all, it gave me such a, a new appreciation Or lagers, which, Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I'm I'm a bit snobby about because I'm always looking for the next great beer. Well, they're hard to make,
0: aren't they? Aren't lagers very delicate?
1: They are much harder to make. It's it's like trying to, as a tailor, trying to make a... A white suit. Any stitch in the wrong place is going to show because ales, you have something to hide behind. There's all those funky, fermenty flavors of esters and aldehydes that come out with the warm, hot ale fermentations. And so it gives you sort of some leeway with lagers because it's long, slow, cold fermentation and you don't get those esters and aldehydes interfering with the aromatic profile. All you taste is malt, water, and hops. That's it. And if you make even the slightest mistake, man, does it show.
2: I was just wondering. Can you break down those ten beers like lightning round? Oh sure. For us? Oh my God. Do you want me All to walk right. through it really quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need oh this. no,
1: I don't. Guys, oh my God. I, 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 this is my seminar. Knows. You have no idea. I've been giving this seminar. Seminar funded by the German government. <laughs> I have been going around the country teaching people about this five hundred years of lager history and how it connects Germany and the United States. Are you ready?
2: Lightning round. Just a, a quick aside here. Sure. I've been here now for about an hour and a half, and I've got this strange compulsion to invade Poland. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We won't mention that to anybody on the board of the German Society. Um, this, this is probably something best kept here. So, okay.
0: Have another um, beer, Paul. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So, lightning round, we're going to walk through the 10 beer seminar that we did. And we were largely choosing beers that were of seminal historical importance. So, beer number one, Einger, Outbearish Dunkel. This is a Munich Dunkel, a dark beer, lager brewed. And the closest thing that we can now today taste to the way lagers used to taste when they first emerged in Europe about 500 years ago. Sometime in the 1500s, Log yeast first emerged in the ice caves of Bavaria, being used by brewers to make cool fermented beers. This allowed them to make cleaner tasting beers, and it caught on. It was very popular. Beer number two wasn't really a style of that period, it emerged in 1842, Pilsner Urquell. Now, Urquell means original, as in the original Pilsner, because it's brewed in a city called Pilsen in what is now the Czech Republic. Now, this used to be the Kingdom of Bohemia, which is a rival of Bavaria right next door, but didn't have quite as organized a commercial brewing scene in that early days of the Industrial Revolution. Unfortunately, they were the first to combine pale malts and lager yeasts. It was the shot heard round the world in the Brewing world. Nothing has been the same ever since. Since that day, it's only been a matter of time since every country, every audience wants pale lager brewed beers. That's why pale lagers are synonymous with beer worldwide. Now, Pilsner Urkel was the first pale lager because they combined German lager yeast with British malting technology that allowed them to not burn their grains and not turn their beer brown in the process. And this first clear pale lager changed everything. Within two decades, the entirety of Europe's brewing population was trying to mimic the Pilsner beer made in Pilsen. Beer number three takes us to the original, actually the oldest brewery in the world, Weinstefaner, which is located on a hill in a town called Freising outside of Munich. Now, interestingly, Weinstefan started as an monastery, then became a brewery, and now is part of the Technical University of Munich, the most important of all brewing universities in all of Germany. We tasted their original Helles. Helles means pale in German, and it is a pale, lager-style beer, minus the hoppy bite that we get with Pilsner. It allowed us to taste sort of the pure quality, the the kind of neutral refreshment that we find in those Helles-style beers. And it is the original, the most imitated beer on earth. From then, we moved to northwestern Germany to a region called the Nordrhein. Westfalia region. Now, in this area, this is where most of the German population lives, and when Pilsner Brewing moved to that area in the late 1800s, they started using uh, water with a different mineral content that gave the beers a drier finish, and they started using higher levels of noble German hops, which gave the beer more of a bitter bite, and these became very distinctive, so popular, in fact, that within 50 years, the entire world came to think of Pilsner as a German-style beer beer instead of a Czech-style beer, which is kind of unfortunate for those poor bohemians. But what are you going to do? Beer number... beer number five was the first one that took us outside of Germany. We kind of sketched out the history of lager brewing in Germany, and then we hopped across the Atlantic to taste a beer from the oldest brewery in the United States. Yingling & Sons, which is of course a Pennsylvania brewery based in Pottsville, we tasted their traditional lager, which is synonymous with lager in much of the East Coast. Now, Yingling happens not only to be the oldest brewery in the United States, but also the largest independent brewery in the U.S. since most of the big commercial brands, let's be honest, are owned by multi multinational corporations that aren't even based in the US. So Yingling counts as the largest American brewery as well as the oldest. And we illustrated how their style of lager, which originated in the 1840s and 50s after lager yeast was first brought from Germany here to the United States, helped to pioneer Pennsylvania's role as the leading brewers of lager in the Western Hemisphere and position Philadelphia as the premier beer city in the Americas, really, until the turn of the 20th century. Now, Yingling did brew with some non-traditional ingredients from a German perspective. They added corn to the recipe because it was a way to economize and keep the cost of the beer fair for the working man population that they were serving. But the traditional lager, the Oktoberfest-style lager that they still make, is really, it's a solidly brewed lager that I was illustrating for people. If you can taste it warm and it still tastes like beer, it's real beer, made the German way. Now, number six, we moved to a different style. We took a look at what was happening on the West Coast in California, which is so hot for craft brewing now in our modern era. Back in the days of the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they were brewing a style of beer. They were trying to compete with East Coast, with Pennsylvania lagers. So they tried to do lager fermentations, but the lager yeast needs cold temperature to ferment and they didn't have easy access to ice houses. They didn't have frozen rivers and lakes in the winter in San Francisco. So Anchor Brewing Company made what's known as a steam beer, which is lager fermented, but at a warmer temperature. And what happens is when you ferment a lager at a warmer temperature, it starts tasting more like an ale. It starts tasting a little funkier, it starts tasting a little cheesier, starts tasting a little fruitier, less clean, less refreshing, less pristine than the traditional cold fermented German style lagers. And from there, after contrasting with the anchor, we jumped ahead to the micro brew movement, which was the origins of what we now call craft brewing in the United States with Samuel Adams Boston Lager. Now this was a hugely important beer at the time because it was when the craft beer movement transcended the tiny micro brew like brew pub level micro brewing that was taking place in the 80s. They were one of the first to crack open the idea of how to take high quality craft recipes and take them to a larger audience and they did this by doing contract brewing with larger facilities. Now interestingly Samuel Adams is brewed by the Boston Beer Company but They brew almost all of their beer in Pennsylvania because in Pennsylvania we have the right water sources, we have the right mineral content, we have the right population with the German training and the appreciation for lager beer. Beer number eight was Victory's Dry Hopped Homegrown Lager. Now, this was interesting because it's essentially a pilsner, but instead of being hopped the traditional German way with noble hops and done during the brewing process, it was dry hopped after the brewing process. And that's what gives you that real sappy, fresh hop taste. They had six varieties of American whole flower hops that were done in that traditional victory style. It gave it kind of like an IPA aromatics on a pale lager base. And boy, was that delicious. But I'll tell you, the the hoppiness of that beer, the contrast with the more floral and understated German hops, it made the... uh, The the hop character there was reminding me a little bit of a dorm room in Colorado. It had a little of that cannabinoid (laughs) scent, if you understand my drift. Now, beer number eight was my example of what American modern craft brewers are doing to repopularize the German styles that originally craft beer was kind of an answer to over-commercialized German brewing. Well, now... Everybody's coming back to German recipes because, frankly, that's what everybody wants to drink. At the end of a hot day, at the end of a long day at work, what do you want? You want refreshment, and that's what German lager brewing does best. Now, we did have two final strong lager beers. Both of them are what are known as Doppelbach beers, which are, well, well, originally, the first Doppelbachs were brewed by medieval monasteries as a way for the monks to get through Lent without, well, they were fasting. They were not allowed to eat, and they were not allowed to drink wine. So they figured out if they made their beer stronger than usual by reducing the water, content, they could get all of their caloric needs met with their glass of daily bread. And so the Pauline Monastery in Munich was the first to produce a Doppelbach, and theirs was called Salvatore. And since we were doing a tour of historically important beers, we tasted the Salvatore Doppelbach from Munich, and then we immediately contrasted it with an example of a creative American craft Doppelbach from Pennsylvania. This one being made by Trogues in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Now, Trogues makes the single most popular American and Doppelbach, Troganator. Perhaps you've tried it. It is absolutely delicious. A little more caramelly, a little richer, a little stronger in alcohol than the average German Doppelbach. But what's interesting is we tasted their bourbon barrel aged Troganator, which is even stronger, even richer, and had that layer of whiskey and vanilla notes on the nose that you get from new oak barrels and that's uh one through ten paul how'd i do you
2: did amazing that was (laughs) bravo bravo
0: (laughs) Thank you.
2: I mean, that was uh, that was that was, awesome. was lightning round. Well, By the way, my caloric needs have not been met
0: <laughs>
5: okay, okay.
2: yet, so we got to. Uh, so something it's,
0: about that. it's it's about five minutes of showtime for mm-hmm. you, and um, uh, I just want to ask you your last point. It's very trendy with the uh, barrel age, the barrels. Absolutely. Is that a new ounce? Uh, is that like something? Is that traditional as well? Yes. To get yes
1: at. and no. So um, you have to remember that barrels were the traditional vessels for anything liquid for centuries right we didn't used to have plastic we didn't used to have stainless steel we didn't used to have enamel lined cement or anything else that could easily contain liquid in a watertight form so barrels what's interesting is that oak is the tree of choice because if you use a soft wood like pine the barrels leak they're too porous if you use a harder wood like cherry or mahogany you can't bend it into a rounded shape right they're too firm they'll snap oak is the only hardwood with tight enough pores to contain a liquid that can be bent into rounded shapes when you heat the barrel. And that's why we toast and flame the insides of the barrels. Now, interestingly, that was first done for practical reasons, to bend it into shape. There's a reason why ships are built out of oak as well, not out of mahogany and not out of pine. But that barrel making process toasts the insides of the barrels and gives a kind of caramelized quality to the taste inside. Now, originally that wasn't the design, that wasn't the purpose for which the barrels were flamed. But it is now something that we've discovered actually improves the taste of wine, spirits, and beers and other kinds of liquids stored inside. And there are really three reasons that all sorts of like brewers, winemakers, um, distillers use barrels. One is that you allow a transfer of oxygen, right? Air can get into a barrel through the pores. And what that does is it allows this slow micro-oxygenation process that creates some really interesting complex Reactions that generate interesting smells, but also enrich the texture of the tactile mouthfeel of the liquid inside. The second reason is that alcohol and water can evaporate out. So, in the same way that air can get in, liquids. Pure liquids like water and alcohol can evaporate out, which leaves all the flavor compounds to become more concentrated in the remaining liquid. So if you store a beer or a wine or a spirit in a barrel and you leave it there for a year and come back, the fill level will shrink considerably. You have lost a lot of volume, but what remains gets stronger, gets more flavorful, and gets more concentrated, less watered down. And then the third and final reason why we use barrels is that when the barrels are new, when they've been toasted, when they still have only been used to store a liquid for one, two, three, Four years, they impart through an infusion process the flavor compounds that are present in the wood and that have been caramelized onto its surface in the barrel toasting process. So, this is how we get that real rich, caramelized vanilla flavor into bourbon. It's one of the ways that we get that oaky flavor into red wines, and it's now more and more frequently being used for craft beers as well.
2: Wow. Ah. May we call you professor?
1: Yes, you may. (laughs) Wow.
2: Thank you so much. incredible. Incredible.
0: All the Brewers Association based in Boulder, Colorado that's the uh, non representing small independent craft brewers they released a list of top 50 producing craft brewery companies and overall brewing companies in America it's based on beer sales volume then there are some local ish uh, <laughs> breweries on that list well um, I'm anxious to hear yeah number one, craft brewing company uh, where do you think that is? Well, you said local-ish.
2: I'm going to say either Delaware, home of Dogfish Head, or Pennsylvania, where you can pick any number of, of breweries.
0: That's right. But this is overall in the whole United States. Overall, I would say uh, I my pick would be Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. Bro, it, the, maybe, may- maybe 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 Lagunitas. I love Lagunitas. Right, Sierra, Sierra Nevada made the list. Number three, though, out of Chino, California... Number one, I'll just tell you, we've got a story that nobody else can tell. We're
4: America's oldest brewery, and coming up on 190 years, it's uh, it's a special moment.
0: Yingling, Yingling, out of Pottsville, Pennsylvania, number one overall, no U.S. of A. Get out! Yeah, and um, two was Boston Beer Company, out of Boston, Massachusetts. The flavors that we want in Boston Lager can only come from hops grown in this little piece of ground. Again, Sierra Nevada. Brewing out of Chino, California, and all the way at the bottom of the list, number fifty was Left Hand Brewing Company. What's really cool about putting nitrogen in a can is you can create that draft quality pour on the go. Out of Longmont, Colorado. I, you know, i I'm, again I am, based on beer sales volume.
2: I won't say shocked, but I'm very surprised that Yingling is number one on this list because I, I, I uh, honestly, I don't think of Yingling as Craft beer, yeah, a lot of people don't. Well, you, you had the craft beer revolution that began in the 1980s when ho- after home brewing was was allowed all over the country. Yangling's been around since 1829, and they've been brewing the same a lot of the same products.
0: Wait, 1829—that means their birthday is coming. 190.
2: Woo! Yeah, and two of their beers actually were my gateway beers to the
0: the the, the craft beers: uh, the the logger and the black and tan. Well, uh, also making this list, uh, local-ish breweries on the top 50 craft brewing companies in America. Um, Number 13 out of Delaware, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. Pungently hoppy IPA that isn't crushingly bitter. Dogfish Head 60-Minute IPA, the greatest invention you'll ever taste. Well-deserved, yeah, they are. Tremendous and number twenty-seven Trogs Brewing Company out of Hershey, Pennsylvania, also good. Twenty-seven. That's a strong Beers. showing from Trogs.
5: Yeah. After we come up with the recipe, a really fun part for us is then coming up with the name and the logo. Mad Elf, Troganator, Hopback, Dreamweaver, Hopknife, Blizzard Hops, Javahead, Solid Sender, Nugget Nectar,
0: Nimble Giant, Flying Mufon. Is that all of them? So then, overall brewing companies number one. Number one overall brewing companies. Q. I'll give you a hint. Cue the Clydesdales.
2: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I also cue the uh, the organ music. The scary movie organ music. Because right I consider anheuser, anheuser Bush, Bush the evil empire. <laughs> Number one, well, you know, they got all that volume. I don't know if this is based on quality it, or it, It's volume. volume.
0: It's volume. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Volume, I get that. Volume, definitely. Yep. Um, and then number two uh, on this uh, list Miller's Cores, uh, Constellation. Never heard of them. Have you? No. I'm, and four. Where's
2: Constellation? Where are they from?
0: Out of Chicago as well, just like Miller Coors. Okay. Um, Constellation number three for Heineken out of White Plains, New York, and Pabst Brewing Company out of Los Angeles, California. Number six on this overall brewing company list. Yingling shows up there again at number six. So they really pump it out. Oh, yeah.
2: Wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, I got one thing for you.
0: Okay.
2: It's not a list, but um, locally across the river in New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey Monthly has uh, named Bone Saw Brewery the best brewery in the Garden State. Bone saw, bone saw, as in amputation, like cutting bones. Cutting bones. Who would name a brewery that? I would tell you that a surgeon or a former surgeon would name it Bone Saw, um, uh, and he bought he opened the place in the last uh, past year What's or whatever. doctor? Is he? He is an orthopedic surgeon, if I read correctly. And it, I still, look, you don't use bone saws anymore. <laughs> I, when, I, when I think of bone saw, I, I, I'm conjuring up photographs of the Civil War. What do you use and, to cut your bones up? Uh, I just use a, a sharpened spoon.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, my goodness.
2: Uh, right, so yeah, no, that, yeah. that that could
0: be on our, our, our. We take a road trip to Glassboro. Isn't Absolutely, that what it is?
2: yeah, that's a that's a high honor for the uh, local brewery.
0: Right. So it's on what what lists?
2: Best brewery uh, from New Jersey Monthly, the best, and it's currently in first place in USA Today's best new brewery in the country. Wow, we're missing out.
0: Ooh, we got to go. Well, maybe we'll go next time, next episode. Can we? Let's try. Can we go, Johnny. Let's
2: go. Let's Please.
0: go. Please, <laughs> you promised. Cue up the song. Yes. <laughs>
2: Tom's going to have fun with this. Oh, I hope so. Well, that's it. We'll have another round of beer and
0: booze bros real soon. You can find and subscribe to the Beer and Booze Bros on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Beer and Booze Bros is
2: on Twitter at the Beer Bros with a Z at the end. You can find me, Paul Kurtz, on Twitter, backwards,
0: at KurtzPaul. John McDevitt's on Twitter at JM1060. Tom Rigard helped produce this episode of Beer and Booze Bros. Tom is on Twitter at T-Rick.
1: We won't mention that to anybody on the board of the German Society. Um, this, this is probably something
3: best kept here. So. Okay. <laughs>
0: Cheers, Johnny. Cheers, Paul.